0: Hi, this is the Organisational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organizational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organizational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Today we have Scott Hunter with us. Scott's one of our members and he recently developed a really interesting model of leadership influence. Scott spent 18 years with the prison service in the United Kingdom working with every category of prisoner that there is. And the last four years of his time with the prison service, he was part of the national training team, delivering programs such as hostage negotiation, crisis management, communication, and anti-manipulation behaviors. He's left the, the prison service about 11 years ago and started working as a freelance trainer, delivering HR and leadership qualifications, mainly in the Middle East. And the reason that he's here today is that over the last couple of years, Years, Scott has developed the influential leadership model, which is designed to help leaders build effective trust-based influence largely within, or it's aimed at, or seems to be aimed at SMEs or small and medium enterprise. Scott also has a background in strengths-based coaching and appreciative inquiry welcome scott
1: thank you very much for having me david it's great to be here
0: it's an absolute pleasure i'm really interested in learning some more about the model well firstly quite an interesting unusual career trajectory for the kinds of people that we usually have on this podcast which i think we're going to hear from about more in a little while can you just start us off though you position the model of as a influential leadership model aimed at smes so before we actually come to the model itself why this positioning and the context for the model of SMEs, small and medium enterprises, and why focus on leadership influence in particular?
1: Can I flip that question around and not answer it the, the other way around? Say, <laughs> why did I go for influential leadership first? A lot comes from my, the, my experiences and working with people in- Sort of leadership stuff over the last 10, 11 years, say leading in the prison service over 40. And what I found is when I found the most effective way of working with people is actually to not rely on your position to influence behavior. So I think if we can develop something to help leaders not rely on the fact they're leaders to get things done, then that creates a much better environment for which they work and generate around them. So I think that's generally was where it was coming from. And also, Part of my background, obviously, is in learning and development, working closely with a lot of people from L and D is that they have to influence across the whole organization without positional authority. So if we can have people learning the skills of influence without the requirement of positional authority, I think it creates a much better working environment and context. So that's where the influence really came from and the perception about why I thought that would be an important element to build in.
0: Okay. And did some of this therefore just kind of making bridging inferences here, does this come from experienced leaders who were using power and position in order to lead? Yeah, a bit of both,
1: really, because I I think I, I definitely wasn't one of those and I found that building the relationships with prisoners and staff made the working environment much safer, Interesting. interestingly enough, because the prison service works on collaboration, power, but some people think, because I've got the epaulets on, on the position and it gives me power. It gives you all th- yes, yeah, at exactly. the end of the day, but it doesn't really give you power unless somebody willingly gives it to you. And also part of the hostage negotiation aspect was people take a hostage to give themselves perceived power in the relationship. Yes. So if you can then talk to somebody who thinks they have a perceived power, their perception is they have the power because they have the victim or they have a hostage, and you can still negotiate with that person and reverse that dynamic, you can't do it with power. Got you. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly coming from
0: the context of hostage negotiation, that makes an awful lot of sense where you just end up, I suppose, in a kind of battering situation with two powers
1: escalating the the situation yeah and hostages you've got to really and again so that's where some of the models originated is is how do you develop and change that dynamics that relationship where you get somebody to comply with your requests willingly yeah okay brilliant and, and is
0: there any other background that kind of led up to this work to develop the model
1: Just talking to people as well and and, and observing people in the prison service who rely purely on authority and seeing the impact that had on the relationships they had and also is reaction of people to them as well so just seeing that the negativity the the risks and stuff like that and not creating such a safe environment to work in so seeing both sides and also see after I've left I've got involved in coaching and expanding your knowledge I then read more about it so things from people like Stephen Covey Jr Charles Feltman and the trusted advisor and those types of people then Mm. influenced a lot around the design of the model because there's so much overlap in what trust yeah
0: got you and I think a lot of people will have be scarred by those kinds of leaders who are using position and authority in order to lead rather than kind of trying to build trust and influence. So before we get to the model, the aim here appears to be to get leaders of particularly SMEs. You seem to have positioned it for SMEs to create long-lasting trust-based relationships that inspire creativity and innovation. Can you just talk about why that
1: tends not to happen in SMEs naturally? I think Partly it's because I did some research and read a report from the Federation of Small Businesses. And I can't quote the numbers, but excuse me, people within small businesses recognize a need for training and development of them, but very few people within that field actually do any a lot of developing around their own leadership or their teams. And as small businesses grow, it tends to be people then it's transferring from being the person who's the creative or having all the ideas or driving the business forward to but leading other people to do that as well and helping this person in manage the business, which is a completely different skill set, I think, in that trend. And if you look at what's normally out there, because partly this is a commercial decision as well, because obviously this is something I want to take into businesses. But I do think that I mean technically the model will work with any relationships. It just is the way it is. But I I focus in on this group of people because I'm also looking at what's available for them and a lot of leadership development generally is things that's off the shelf yes or price that range and it's things like oh, what's the difference in leadership and management what is that really that important for somebody trying to gel a team together and generate or is it much more about what do we stand for what's important what's the values you want to run this business by how can I make decisions that are aligned to that and how can I build trust around myself and my business mm-hmm. I think your brand is your promise yep people spend a lot of money on their branding and they you know, make it all look lovely and said how do you act consistently on a day-to-day basis interaction by interaction and how is that supporting or damaging that brand reputation yes yeah without a doubt
0: and also i think it's important what you were saying here about that phase transition that leaders of startups and small and medium enterprises have to go through of all of the ideas are theirs all of the innovation is theirs to handing it over where you've got employees who are starting to do some of that, who are starting to use some of their creativity and their skills in order to help to develop what the organization's trying to do. And I think that that phase transition is not an easy one for a lot of entrepreneurs because you kind of get used to, I suppose, controlling everything and being at the center of everything, to handing over that, the power and the authority to employees so that they've got autonomy
1: and you can let them go as opposed to keep controlling them okay let's That's well, wasn't it. the baby's growing up so all of a sudden now it's like i suppose an analogy could be i've been looking after my baby all of a sudden i'm going to give my baby to a child yeah and that transition? some of the development of your child is then given to somebody else yeah and as you walk away there's all the anxiety of like Will it still be there when I get back? Will it be like when I get back? Is it happy and all of a sudden it turns around and doesn't even realise you've gone? You think, Oh, great. Yes, yes, or turns into a monster or something.
0: Okay, let's turn to the model. I'll put the schematic of the model on the, the page for the podcast. And the model's really interesting. So can
1: you just lead us through the main elements of the model and kind of where they've come from? Okay. Yeah. So there's three key stages within it. So in the center is purpose. So that really is what's important to you and what is the contribution you wish to make. Okay. So it's really understanding what's the contribution. Because I think like Daniel Pink, when he wrote his book, Drive, and he talks about the big P, the purpose, but then later on, he talks about the little P, which is not about the changing the world. It's about what's the contribution I wish to make as a purpose for us. So it doesn't have to be earth shattering, but the way I try to work it is working from the perspective of the people you are. Okay so things like so imagine your stakeholders have to vote you into your position right why would they vote for you so again even at the beginning we're trying to flip the dynamics of understanding it's, it's not being a leader doing stuff it's I have to serve these people for them to vote me into my position of leadership yeah so okay. what does I stand for what do I do what would be my manifesto to encourage these people to actually then the next part of that we look at giving people some tools to help them do some sort of emotional response rather than reaction to say okay this is what I want to be known for this is what's important to me this is what I want to be recognized for okay now that's some tools so i can respond emotionally that's aligned to that so it's yeah. the basis of that purpose and that underpins it then you move on to the second circle which is trust. and looking again all the research we've done about trust is trust is quite interesting i think is because you can trust somebody of your house keys but you might not trust them with a project it is not Black or white is not you do or don't trust people. You trust people in different elements at different levels. So trust is getting understand those are the five dimensions that I've created in the model, which are things like, so first is your credibility or believability. Do you say what you mean? Do you mean what you say? Are you fact-based or do you just come off on opinions that aren't structured by anything and then credibility? Can you do what you say you can, are you open and honest with your capabilities? But also for this is it goes back to what you were saying about going into a team. Capability to deliver does not necessarily have to lie with you. It's how can you open up your network to gives you a capability or strategic partnerships that give you capability. So look at what you want to achieve and what is necessary to have in place to achieve that. What do you have? What don't you have and who around you has it that you can tap into? So it's not just about personal capability; it's about network capability as well, which goes to so yep. the same, helping people understand about empowering people around me to help us achieve. Then you go to reliability. So do you deliver on your promises, but also are you consistent so people Say, I can rely on what this person is, how this person is going to respond or react. There's a level of consistency in that reliability. And again, we go back to values and outcomes for that, to give that sense of that, to give that reliability, just something to plant our consistency on. Then emotional connectiveness, which is, can you emotionally connect with people? Can we move from transactional communication to transformational? So a good tip is to say, look at the communication you have with somebody, your emails, how business orientated, is there anything personal in there at all? If there isn't, you are in a transactional relationship with somebody and therefore you have to negotiate that transaction every time that trust, that level has to be renegotiated in every instant. So how can we move it to a more emotionally connected and things like don't gossip. yeah, Because if you gossip, what you're saying to me, you're going to tell me something that's quite important to you and I'm going to just share it with the, well, I'm not going to then start sharing stuff with you because you can't be trusted with personal information and you can't build an connection is if you share personal information.
0: Yeah and there's kind of a respect in there isn't there about yeah,
1: absolutely, kind of developing a mutual respect. And being willing to share something of yourself so we did that in negotiations it's an amazing relationship builder being willing to share something of yourself to get something back as well so what are you comfortable sharing about yourself to who Yeah, and you can observe okay. that change and then that starts to give you an indication of how deep that connection actually is and how deep that relationship is so there's a lot of indicators in how we communicate what we communicate Care about when we can actually gauge mutually. We can gauge where we are with other people, but also where they are with us. Yeah. And the last one is selflessness is all, if people think you're self-centered, they don't, he's only doing it because he wants something and there's no trust in that no matter what you're saying and what you're doing, how you're not believable when people think your motives are ulterior motives or self-centered. So that damages trust. So another thing we careful when you communicate is how many times do you say the word I, because yep. you're demonstrating a self-centered communication, even these little micro behaviors that we have influence perception. And that's what trust is. Trust is perception. Yes, definitely. It's a perceptual process
0: and certainly that I dear about where your focus is, whether it's on what I'm getting and me, or whether it's on this thing and making things better. It's kind of the win-win.
1: Yeah, nice. So you think about okay. it, it incorporates your language, your behaviours, your emotions and your motives. And they right. all interplay around each other, so you can see how some influence. But what we do is we explore those, and then you explore the relationships with the people you need to have good relationships with to see where do they sit. So at what level do I trust people within these different domains or dimensions? Yeah, within in context? And then where do I think they see me? Yep. And what am I doing that's supporting that view? And what am I doing if I want to change that view and get them to see me as that more total trust? Well, things might I need to be doing differently around these dimensions to incorporate that.
0: I can actually well see that this will be very useful as a kind of a feedback exercise from people around
1: you in each of these areas. Well, that's eventually where we're going with this, hopefully, is to build that area within platform we're going to put it on so organizations can do it and they get a trust yeah that would make a lot of sense so you can actually you can see a heat map of where the high levels of trust is, but also is there any dimension within your organization that is desperately low? So you can then start looking at how we can work within our business and you can see areas that are higher and lower and based on the activities within the model within that can help you build that level of trust, but it'll be specific to the efficiencies and where they're going.
0: Okay, brilliant. And and where did these five areas or six with purpose, so we've got purpose in the middle and believable, capable, reliable, emotionally connected and selfless around them. Where have they come from? How did you do? Drive these so partly
1: it's a lot of it was around trust and so trying to help people become influential because that's where I started looking to try and help after I did some of it. So I did a lot around trust and stuff, but really trust is the basis, but you need to have something to base it off. And that's where purpose came from. I said, yeah, you can be trusted, but trusted for what? So I thought there needed to be an anchor. Yeah. And that's where purpose came from. So looking at what people say and also how motivational purposes. So that's why it, it sort of, because I, when I first played with, I think I trust in the middle and thinking yeah. about it in the process, I said, no, it really needs something. It needs an anchor. So it's really sort of the iteration of the model over a period. Yeah. And so the whole
0: model is about developing trust and there's lots of evidence to support this certainly around purpose focused leadership and the effect that that has. And certainly from leadership styles that promote but look at the primacy of purpose and why that is important, both as an individual, but also as a team and an organization. What is it that we're really trying to do and whether our behaviors and actions behind that actually support the articulated purpose Absolutely.
1: And I mean, so that's what that's the first bit. So when we do the manifesto, if the program is designed to that's the thing we deliver. So what needs to happen to deliver that? So what yeah. the values, what the behaviors, what are that because that's what you build trust around. So you can be trusted, but it's again, it needs something to you say, it needs something to hang off or to anchor it that I have something that I can say, right, that's it. And I need to build trust. So it's, it's really being like that outcome focused as well, which I think is important that I didn't want it just to just be like an, a model that sits there and people say, oh, it looks lovely. What do I actually do with it? I wanted it to have something that you say just follow this, and it's kind of like a roadmap as well. Yeah. So before we came online, is it a model? Is it a framework? Is it an operating process? Is it? Well, I don't know what it is, but it's just about how can you build influential relationships that deliver what you want. Yeah. Really. So we start. That's where I think where purpose originated. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And around the outside, you've got three arrows, I suppose, of integrate, individualize, and innovate, or heading
1: towards a clockwise direction. Yes. What are those about so you've got trust what yeah. do you do with it so it's now about leveraging that trust effectively but the trust and that work together so this is about so the integrate is for you to be successful who are the stakeholders you need on board yep yeah. so you need to integrate yourself into a network of something whether it's the employees you're working with whether a strategic alliance you want to work with maybe it's potential clients or stakeholders or suppliers who is it who's key for you to actually deliver what you wanted so again i just didn't want it to be a model i wanted to be something that's applicable and practical that people can actually follow and and go through a process of actually making it useful to them and there's a tangible outcome
0: so in terms of integration or integrate there seems to me to be two elements of this one is well three what is my network that will help the occur how do I both integrate the network and integrate into the network and then also how do I integrate the elements believable cable reliable,
1: trust and purpose into that. Have I got that right? Yeah, because the part of the integrator is actually to assess your network. Yeah. So where is it? Where's the strength of my network? Who do I really need to have really strong connections? And then you can assess and then you can actually say okay, this person, I need to have a stronger relationship with this person. Then you can start okay, where is the trust with this person? How can I build trust using these things and starting and then to really focus on what you want to achieve with the people are going to help you achieve it. Yeah, Trust in ethical ways and mutually beneficial, not This is a person. I need them on board. I'm going to manipulate the situation. Because to me, manipulation influence two sides of the same coin.
0: And so I was going to
1: ask you about that, actually. So in what way? Explain. Manipulation and influencing are really similar because it's about helping somebody or asking somebody to do something you want them to do. And the techniques used can be quite similar. But to me, it's the ethos behind it that makes it. Okay. So I'm going to manipulate you to do something that could potentially be negative to you, but it's just purely because it's going to help me. Whereas I can influence you to do something that's going to be beneficial to you and potentially beneficial to me as well. Okay. So that's based on win-win. Yeah, definitely based on win-win. So things like we're trying to influence people to have a better lifestyle. That's going to benefit them more than you try to influence people to do that because that's going to happen and it's going to have a beneficial outcome to them.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that makes a lot of difference. And I do think in organizations. There's a lack of thought about, well, there's kind of a, I suppose, a lexicon, there's a whole language around leading and motivating people. And when you start to look at it, really look at it, you start to wonder which side this is on, whether it's motivation or manipulation and whether we're really influencing people or either manipulating them psychologically in a way or we're actually twisting their arm up the back with, you know, you won't have a job anymore if you don't type of manipulation, which is a much more direct form of manipulation. And it's that directness that gets a lot of leaders into trouble where they get fed up and they just go for a power show, which is direct power, or they start manipulating in some way rather than actually trying to build an influence-based trusting relationship.
1: And I think that happens a lot, particularly when leaders are under stress. I think so, because some of this takes effort. It does take effort. And just and sitting there flexing your power muscles takes no effort at all. It's quick. It's a bit like saying to somebody, "Are you command control? Are you coaching. Coaching takes effort, takes time, because it's an investment. Sometimes those rewards aren't direct. They take long, the time for it to become fruition. But the long-term influences, everyone knows long-term impact of a positive relationship with somebody is huge compared to having the short-term gains of a negative relationship with somebody.
0: Yeah, definitely. And certainly, because we're from reasonably similar backgrounds, so because I Um, from a police background, certainly the leaders that people trusted when something happened and we just had to go and do something, the action was, even though they were at that point, they'd moved into a command and control just because of time and because somebody's life was at risk, they were much more likely to be followed and worked with than people who right at the start were using power as part of that relationship. You know, I'm I'm the boss, you just do what I say type of relationship. Once the stress starts happening, that's when we found that things started to go wrong for those people because people really, as they were moving into a situation, they were starting to get worried because they didn't believe that individual would have their best interests at heart. And in a, in a dangerous situation, that's not a
1: good place to be. No, and, and I think, especially if you, and this is where if you have a blame culture within your organization, that becomes even more apparent because you think, oh, these people, are, they're, they're just doing it to protect themselves and I'm going to end up carrying the can for this. So again, that's that motive and that's where blame doesn't come into helping build this type of relationships because you exist in the culture so you've got to work a little bit harder for that and you have to recognize the environment in which you're working and that you have to adapt to it because you can't change it overnight but you can you can still be say, in the prison service you can say it was quite a blame culture was it a blame culture thought it was very much about what's the record what did you say what did you do and you can be held accountable and quite often I've had conversations and one of the managers said that's not what I said Mr. Hunter I said that's what I thought you said that's not what I said so I then got into trouble I did something that I thought was okay and I was told by a senior manager it wasn't so next time the senior manager asked me to do something he said do you mind writing that down my trust diminished massively with this individual because of that action yeah so he said well why are you being like that I said well obviously if you're going to write it down I don't want to misunderstand like I did last time which was awful yeah so if you just write it down then then it's clear and I know exactly what I'm doing so I sold it that way and you couldn't say no but really it was about me ensuring that he wouldn't come off the hook again me carrying the can there's an example of one action about motives and protecting however much if you really really like that person then that the the negative may have been much less you might have been more willing to rebuild that level of trust but that the level of trust with that person is massively diminished and i look at trust so imagine there's a whatever seven billion people in the you have a trust balance with every single one of them as a person if you've never met them, it's neutral because they don't know you. So it's like basically, but if they've been introduced to you, seen some of your products, your marketing, your sales, been referenced by anyone, any information about you is starting to either pay into that trust balance or withdraw from that trust balance. So that's why I think it's important that we think about our marketing and all our interactions because they do influence what we say, what we tweet, what we do. And that's come back to haunt people many times about what you've said in the <laughs> past. I'm a changed person. Why did you say that 20 years ago? Yeah. When was it ever okay to tweet that and really thinking about how is this going to impact on people's perception of me? And so i really asking people to think that way about what they're doing. One of the questions somebody said to me, I said, one of the questions I've asked and I've kept a long time for me, would you be willing to say that in open court yeah, in front of the judge, in front of the person who said it about a barrister and all that sort of stuff and be questioned about it? If not, don't say it. It's just, to me, it's a simple simple sort of gauge I use, would I be willing to say that in open court? If I'm not willing to say it in open court, that means I'm not willing to justify my opinion or I'm embarrassed about what I've said or yeah. do
0: it. Yeah, I like that idea of the trust balance. And I think that it's kind of a, a powerful idea to start thinking about where am I in whatever the relationship is and going through those relationships within, say, a startup or a, a business and just thinking about where both sides of that coin are in terms of a, a trust balance is it in deficit or is it on the positive and could it be more positive and I, I think that's quite a powerful way of
1: thinking about it and then ask yourself what am i going to do today to pay into my balance with people yeah, yeah. and i think the, also look at the word trustworthy so What are you doing that's making yourself worthy of somebody's trust, which is another way I think I love that quote, that word and sort of breaking down what it means. I think Charles Feltman had a quote, I will try and remember this off the top of my head. And it's one of the best definitions of trust I've seen is trust is making something you value vulnerable to the actions of somebody else. Yeah. Now, if you think about business, what are you asking your staff that they value to leave with you or leave open to actions of yours? What are your clients? What are you asking them to trust you with? What is it of value you're asking them to trust you with? And how are you going to demonstrate that that's okay for them to leave that with you? Yeah. So I really think thinking it that way, then you start to think about, it changes our perception think, to much more about what am I doing to show that I can be and therefore people will, are willing to trust me. And then that escalates and it accelerates loads of things. And the two important aspects of trust, I think, is we spend too long in businesses talking about our credibility and our reliability. We don't, think enough about our motives and our emotional connection.
0: Yeah. And I think that's true both within organizations, with employees, for example, but also with clients and customers and stakeholders.
1: Yeah. If you look at people's websites, look at your own website, how much, and I'm saying yours, this is people who are listening, go and look at your website. How much of the website is about how good you are. And then that's demonstrating credibility, reliability, but from a selfish point of view, because all about me it's all about me it's all about me, well, why is somebody going to engage in that? Because you're just talking about it. Mm. So it doesn't build trust to start with. It builds certain aspects, but it damages on another one. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, yeah, that's a good litmus test, actually. If you go against all five dimensions of trust, how much is there in emotional connection, communication, how much reliability, credibility is there, how much emotional connection is there, how much are you demonstrating selflessness instead of selfishness? I think if you can test against all five of those, pretty much everything you do, you're not going to go far wrong. Yeah.
0: Yes. Now, I think that's really important. Can we just move on to the the next arrow that you've got? Because I'm intrigued by this. Individualize. What do you mean by that? Because it's an unusual thing to see in a model. I don't see that. I look at lots of models on a daily basis, but it's an
1: unusual thing. I don't know if it is. If you think about influential, they're not influential because it's my one. The, oh, what is it? I've forgotten the guy's name now. Bessie Blanchard. Situational leadership. Situational leadership. Yeah. That's an individualized model. It's adapting my behavior to the situation somebody else is in. Okay, So that's what you mean. So individualization for me is to really get to understand these stakeholders. You've identified them. Where are they? What's important uh-huh. to them? What are they trying to achieve? And there are ways of doing this that aren't too onerous on people. As about so listen to what your stakeholder is talking about. What emotive or motivational language or words are they using? If you're writing to something, how might this person perceive what you're saying? Because then you can start understanding the language they use, which means I can communicate to them in their language now, because I've started to assimilate that to a degree. You can also look at what's the sentimental relationship I have with these people? Where's their sentiment towards me? Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it becoming friendlier or frost? So you can actually start gauging the, where your relationships are with these people as well. And then you start thinking, what's important to this person? Because if I want to influence them and I want to be selfless, the only way to do that is to try and put it together in a way that's going to benefit them, achieving what they want or avoiding what they don't want. So that's really the individualizers. So yeah, I've got stakeholders. Who are they? I mean, really who? And where are they? As in inside, what do they want? What do they want? What do they fear? What's the language? of? What's they experience in their context? And then how does that influence how you would then approach them? So really start thinking about what language are they using? Are they using languages? Are they very direct in their language? So you can be a little bit more direct back. What is it they mention a lot when you say what's, because what we tend to mention first or repeatedly is something that's really important to us. So how can you link what you're doing to those? indicators these people are giving you in this conversation what's the emotional hooks this person's throwing out how can i latch onto them if i'm negotiating backgrounds got you okay yeah that makes a lot
0: of sense okay and on to the last one innovate
1: so now you know them and now you know who you need to know and you know what you need these people on board for how can you create something that delivers that okay it's a personalized solution but again when you talk about you're you're asking people to look at these things so it's about getting people on board being willing to challenge the status quo being curious about things they're doing looking for potential connection and saying, okay, this person, I need this person on board da, da, da. How can, so you'll be much more fluid with what you're looking for doing. As a woman called Jo Wheatley who wrote a book and I've forgotten the name of my book. And it's a great way of looking at an organization, especially small businesses. It's not if the glass is half full or half empty. It's what's your water? Who needs it? And how do you get it? Yes. So what are your strengths? What have you got? Capability? What's my stakeholders' needs and wants? What do I want them to? What do I need them to do to help me? What have I got within my water that I can then get to that person? And how do I get it in a way that works? Yeah. What happens?
0: Okay. So, how does the whole model process work
1: together? And Can you just talk as I suppose, how's it used? Okay, so it's new, Mm -hmm. as is, so it's still, it's finalized where it is now. This is like the, I'm never going to say final because you never can. As far (laughs) as I'm aware, this is, at the moment, it's okay. It's where it is, it's okay. It's been adapted and done. How I'm starting to use it is partly I've built a competency framework of some of the behaviors as 37 indicators. And again, that's open for review and adaption. As you know, when you do something that you think that works and then as you test it, test it and test it, something else may come about. that's a better understanding of it. So you do the assessment, you find out where you are and then it's basically, it's going through those processes of where am I, who am I, what's important then going through where my relationships are with the people. And then the view for me is always going back. So although it's written that way, so once you've done sort of trust and you understand trust and what it is, you start to develop trusting relationships and then you move on to integrate. It's then going back to what's those trust and relationships and how can I use that knowledge now with these new relationships? As I've gone on to a new project, who do I need to reintegrate with? So it really is a sort of a process we go through that is adaptable to help us deliver the goals we're trying to deliver as leaders, whether that's project leaders, whether it's small business Whatever it is, so I'm not sure it's a model movement. It might be an operating system. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but it could be all of them. So that's how people use it. Really, is to say, okay, and it's more about having that north star which is your purpose and saying, okay, what am I doing consistently to deliver against that? And then who do I need on board to help me get? How can I get them on board in a way that's beneficial to them as well as me? Really is the three elements that you're talking about. And it's about that consistency and building that reputation.
0: Great. And so when you're introducing it either
1: through coaching or training, how do you go about doing that? I haven't introduced it to many people. It's that new. It yeah. will be on a platform. We're building a platform now that will be sitting and there'll be an assessments on it and then activities and because i I love playing with activities rather than just telling people what to do Mm, so do this activity and this is linked to that behavior which is linked to that aspect so people can then take certain activities and develop around those things as they see fit but how i'm introducing it is basically helping leaders build trust-based relationships that they can influence people so they can build better relationships improve reputation increase revenue it's a slightly salesy pitchy thing around it but that's all it's really about is to help people do things through positive relationships
0: yeah and it just strikes me which is one of the reasons for the interview and the podcast really is that it's a good set of constructs for anybody but leaders within organizations to start thinking about those elements that add to increased trust and better relationships really you know just around the five areas that you've got well six areas I suppose purpose but believable capable reliable connected or emotionally connected and selfless are kind of good principles anyway
1: for good leadership yeah i think well yes they are because i think it's because there's also some servant leadership in there because of the selflessness as well as there's as aspects of servant leadership in there's as aspects of the sort of purpose driven leadership if you have talking about so it's about and you've talked about purpose as well and the why is important. So people like Simon Sinek talk about it. Daniel Pink talks about it. And even Robert Cialdini in the psychology of influence talk about the power of the word because yep. just simple, don't tell people to do something, tell people I'd like to do this because, but is that because justified? Is that because selfless? can does the because make sense to somebody are you just asking somebody to do something because you just hate doing it yeah or you're asking somebody to do it. i've picked you because this is part of this this is, and what do you need to do to achieve this how can i support you this is what good looks like this is what we expect and then where are you with that what help do you think you can do it or is it something you don't you're not comfortable with and if you want to do it what helped? And so again it's about helping people really look at how they communicate people to people in a way that's going to build that because I think communication is, is around that because we communicate all the time. Your body language, yeah. the words you choose to use, everything else all sort of come out of this. So, and really being, and we talk about authenticity, being authentic, but really you only notice when somebody's authentic, when it's lacking, you can't teach yeah. authenticity. You can teach inauthenticity.
0: Let me ask you another question on the back of that then. So if you've got some leaders who want to become more authentic,
1: how did they develop that? I think for these, it's just to strip down what they're doing now and, and nail back down to what is really important to me. And then how do I deliver on that? Is everything I'm doing alike? because then it's okay. important to you. And it's one of the best bits of advice I ever got given in the prison service, which you can watch other people and you can learn from other people. Only do the stuff they do that sits comfortably on your shoulders. So it's really being aware of would I be comfortable doing that? Is that aligned with who I am or what I am as a personality as a person? Then I can learn. But I can also learn from what other people do and it's effective for them. But their personality and the way they are is different. So I can't do that because it won't work as effectively. Yeah. So I think that's one of the easiest things. would I, How comfortable am I doing that?
0: And I think that's important because it's got to kind of align with my values as a leader because otherwise I'm going to find it terribly difficult to enact it if it doesn't because I've got to keep moving through all of these processes in order to get it done. Whereas if it's aligned, it becomes an easier process, much more fluid. Uh, and I'm just thinking back to that integrate part that you've got there, There's kind of an internal
1: integration as well with an individual's beliefs and values. And I think that's why I found it important that trust is good, but trust based on what? So that's why I think the purpose got put in there because I said there has to be something to anchor this all from, it is your North Star. So one of the activities yeah. in your decision-making process is actually, called it the North Star. Yeah. And, and- there's your decision. That's what you want to do on each one of the steps of these the North Star. What are the key values you've identified that are important to you? How does that decision lap against each one of those? Yeah. If it doesn't, why are you doing it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good point. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting model. And as I say, I'll put the schematic on the show notes so that people can have a look at it. Just if people want to
1: find you, how do they go about doing that, Scott? They can find me on LinkedIn quite easily. And the website is www.theinnovatecrowd.com.
0: Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review Podcast.
1: For free research briefings,
0: audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit Oxford-Review.com. That's Oxford-Review.com. And please, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you.